Welcome to The Rich Report, a podcast with news and information on high-performance computing. Today, my guest is from Micron. We have Steve Pulowski. He is the VP of Advanced Computing Solutions at the company. Steve, welcome to Germany. Thank you, Rich. It's, uh, I've been here many, many times over my career, so it's always nice to be back. Yeah. I think it's great we had a chance to chat. Uh, ISC starts in earnest tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I thought we could use this opportunity to kind of catch up with Micron, what's going on with memory, with HPC, with new kinds of uh, devices coming online, new memory hierarchies, all this kind of stuff. So, uh, Steve, let's start at the beginning. I mean, who is Micron and who do you help in this space? Well, <clears throat> Micron is a memory manufacturer. We manufacture DRAM as well as NAND and, uh, NAND, and NAND SSDs and then NOR devices. Um, essentially, we help everybody. Anybody who needs um, a memory solution, or you know, memory is a very critical component of every one of these systems that get built. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you're using Intel-based systems, ARM-based systems, GP, GPUs, they all use a common uh, set of memory, and that's what Micron produces. And you know, to put this in perspective, the you know, the top 500 comes out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the biggest systems in the world, of course. And memory kind of comprises a big proportion of the cost of a system of these this scale, doesn't it? It I mean, does. Yeah. And roughly, you know, general rule of thumb is about 30% of the cost of the 30%. system. 30%. Wow. And we're talking millions of dollar systems, so yeah, lots of, it's lots lots of money. And, and the, also the power consumption for the uh, overall system. Yeah, is, and it's, it's really more, it's not only the power consumption of the devices itself when you're actually doing a full access and, and lighting them up, but mm-hmm. A majority of that power is actually in the transfer of data from memory to the compute element to do whatever computing there is and then transfer that data back. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've talked a lot in the past uh, with uh, supercomputing architectures that the, the, the memory speed hasn't kept up with Moore's law, which is like doubling the transistors and getting mm-hmm. these speed increases, but memory has been a much more uh, slower kind of scale, hasn't it, as it's passed? Yeah, it's, um, you know, as the scaling continues, um, you know, we get smaller and smaller uh, DRAM cell sizes, you know, Mm -hmm. just a basic DRAM, whether it happens to be a planar device or a deep well or a deep trench device. And you're right, the latencies have roughly stayed the same over the past several years. Now, when I started my career at Intel in 1982, the memory latencies, access latencies, actually dominated the CPU speed. So it really, you know, the CPU wasn't waiting for memory yeah. as, as much as it is today. Now, in a lot of sense, over the years, we've not done a really good job from the, you know, from the CPU side. In order to be able to compensate for the latency, we've added more and more caching, mm-hmm. threading, things of that nature to try to you know, mitigate the latency issues. So there really hasn't been a strong motivation for the DRAM vendors to drive latency down as opposed to just getting more bits per cell and getting the cost on a per bit basis down. Okay. All right, Steve, well, not to beat up on the industry because over that same time span we just discussed, we, we are getting a lot more memory capacity mm-hmm. than we used to for the dollar, right, in the same amount of space. So that, that has been on a, a very pleasant curve, for the, especially in HPC where you need, mm-hmm. as multi-core has come in. Memory, as you know, is very important. So, let's talk a little bit about the new technologies, right? You know, what comes after you know the traditional DRAM or C today in a in a cluster? <laughs> is it DDR four we're at today? We're at DDR four, and yeah. certainly the industry is looking at next generation DDR 
five, whether that is a serial interface or the same parallel interface, those conversations are going on now. And okay. It could be both. Yeah. And that's still a dynamic memory that needs to be refreshed? Uh, yeah, what? even when you look at non-volatile memories, eventually they need to be refreshed. Now, mm -hmm. they don't need to be refreshed as often, but they will still need some type of a refresh cycle. Okay, okay. So what about the 3D stack memory, the things we've been hearing about? Are, are those coming to market? Are they you know, around the corner, or where, where are you guys at? What's Certainly in NAND, yeah. the 3D memory, the 3D stacking is a more mature technology in that, you know, in that mm -hmm. space, and it's in, yes. Um, you know, it is on the way to, to being, you know, coming to market, and it'll, we'll certainly see it in SSDs. DRAM's really not architected for something like that in terms of the process, mm -hmm. um, and then there are other technologies like Crosspoint that will still take some time when, you know, they're going to come to memory at some point, but they'll tend to start to show up more and more, but, um, right. you know, um, right. certainly 3D NAND will lead the way. So refresh my memory. You guys came to kind of came to announcement with Intel. Is 3D Crosspoint the the name of the technology, and you both have your uh, implementations of it coming? I think they call theirs Optane. Did I get that straight? And yours is something else, or? Well, I'm I don't know what we're calling ours because I'm kind of at the head end of a lot of that <laughs> stuff in terms of um, what we do in the next three to five years. But mm -hmm. yeah, it was jointly developed. Yeah, um, and. Um, Intel has this product roadmap that, you know, they've either announced or they've put some, uh, you know, they will announce at some point in time. And we're certainly looking at products that we would have that implement that leverage, that utilize the same technology. And do these things allow you to kind of architect uh, a supercomputer in a different way than we traditionally have on how, you know? Well, they do because, um, you know, for years, as I, as I mentioned, I spent a lot of my career at Intel. I left mm -hmm. in 2014 and joined Micron. For years, we looked at the new non-volatile technologies that came out, like NAND and whatnot, in order to see, is there a way that we can potentially find a use for that in the standard memory footprint. Okay. And um, it was difficult difficult because of those latencies. When you look at a technology like 3D Crosspoint and some of the new materials the industry is looking at, those latencies are becoming more DRAM-like, mm -hmm. which makes them a more attractive option to look at, is there a way we can actually inject uh, persistent memory that's fairly high performance, so we don't take a performance hit, but we can certainly increase the capacity mm -hmm. on a cost per bit basis versus what we have today. Yeah, yeah. So you have these various tiers, right? The, the um, you know, cash, right, mm -hmm. closest to the processor, and, and going out uh, to these things. Um, so what, what's your mission this week? What kind of things are you trying to share with your customers? as Because they buy these things out three years out, right? Uh, they just plan these big supercomputers, right? Well, there's, there's obviously the mission to sell the products that we have and the yeah. products we certainly have in the pipeline, which are mainly you know, DRAM-type products mm -hmm. and um, um, SSDs. Yeah. What I do is, and when I came to Micron, it was really focusing on the convergence of computing and memory, and that isn't necessarily we're going to move the CPU to a memory process. I mean, it's, they're just two different things, and that's not necessarily the best way to, to spend your dollars. Mm -hmm. But it's, is there a confluence when you take an architecture like Hybrid Memory Cube, where memory and logic are very close together to minimize energy, and then we can optimize the memory architecture and because the, the interface between the memory and the logic isn't a standard interface, mm -hmm. where we can optimize that architecture for highest bandwidth, highest parallelism in terms of access to get as much uh, efficiency out of that interface as possible. 
And then when, with that logic layer, you can start converging and bringing some compute structures in that. Because, you know, it's not just a controller like HMC is today. Mm -hmm. Potentially, it can evolve and be more of a computing platform with logic and memory. And there are some things you can do in logic very well, like floating point, very, very efficient operation. But things like scatter-gather, we can potentially do that in the memory and get that information available, or pointer chasing, sort. There are certain types of functions we can actually do in memory more efficiently than bringing that data in the process or doing a few bits of compute and then pushing it back out. Oh, yeah, yeah, because every time you move the data, as you say, you, there's jewels involved with mm -hmm. more than the jewels involved of computing the thing, uh, processing it, moving it, takes a large amount of energy. Large amount of that. Say. And the, the interesting thing is when you do an access in memory, just a, just a standard bank, mm -hmm. 16,000 bits, so 16 kilobits of sense amps are activated. And generally speaking, they're not bringing 16, you know, two kilobytes of information in per every access. So a lot of that information is read, they'll bring in 6,428 bits or whatever it happens to be, and then the rest of it gets gets written back out, and that's essentially lost lost energy. Uh, and when you multiply this times thousands of cores or mm -hmm. um, the new Chinese machine that they're going to announce very soon here is, is over 10 million cores. Mm -hmm. it just, it's it's mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. <laughs> but a lot of memory uh, involved there as well. So. And I feel sorry for the software people that have to program 10 million cores. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think the next biggest one... <laughs> On the top 500 has 400,000 cores or something. Anyway, something yeah. like that. So, all right. So, uh, um, moral of the story: um, um, memory is, is well, it, it's it's the bread and butter, right? Um, and keep it close to the processing. Don't move the data around. Uh, but it sounds like a lot of exciting things are coming around the corner. Um, as Moore's law seems to be flattening out, there's other ways to speed up the machines and certainly keep that. Uh, that um, energy footprint as well. Yeah, it's yeah. really focusing on the energy. And, um, you know, for years as we've, um, as the industry has done more and more multi-core systems and adding more cores to the logic, yeah. capacity per um, core and bandwidth per core have not kept up. Mm. Now, if you can, you look at architectures where you assume, if we take the assumption that, let's assume that every compute node is four cores. Okay. And it has its own stack of memory, and so on a per core basis, it has band, you know, consistent bandwidth and consistent capacity. Now, if you take those memory logic components and you add a million, so you have four million cores in that case, you've increased the memory capacity by four million, and the bandwidth per core hasn't changed. So if you can come up with an optimal solution with one brick, and you can expand it to a million, you still allow the scalability. And so that's where... It, it, because as you add more cores to the system, you're just, if we live with standard types of memory interfaces or we'd go do boutique type solutions, yeah. they're expensive, they're power hungry, and you can still see how bandwidth and capacity per core have not kept up. Not kept up. Well, before I let you go, I, I do want to ask about the automata processor thing. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I last I saw it was at Supercomputing, I think a year ago. Mm -hmm. That's talking about it. Is that coming close to market? Are you still uh, showcasing that as a potential? We actually have working silicon, and yeah. we have working boards, and we're focusing on um, you know things like Automata, which is, even though it's in a memory process, it really is a processor. Mm -hmm. So it is not a memory device. And now it, become, now it falls in that class like the GPGPU did a few years ago of being an accelerator. And so a lot of software has to be developed to be able to allow that to exist inside the system. 
And because it's a different programming paradigm, because it is a very parallel regex type machine with you know, tools that have to be able to take whatever that algorithm is and map it on that fabric, we're going to be spending more time working with the research and development community in terms of taking those devices, focusing on the, um, the uh, algorithms that would map to it, and then that'll inform us on where we take that architecture going forward. Mm -hmm. well, it's pretty exciting. Its performance is actually a lot better than I would have anticipated for the workloads that it's really good for. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not a general purpose computer by yeah. any stretch of the Yeah, but if you got something that fits on there right, it's, it's a mm -hmm. great potential. It does. That's cool. Well, Steve, I want to thank you once again, and uh, uh, it's great to have you on the show today. Thank you, Rich. I've... Uh, I've enjoyed it. Okay. Well, have a great week. And you too. I see. You too. And hopefully right. we'll run into each other now and then. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be around. Okay. okay, folks. That's it for the Rich Report. Stay tuned for more news and information on high-performance computing.